0: Hello again, Fight Fans, and welcome to another edition of The Neutral Corner. This is episode number 120 of TNC. I am Michael Montero for Boxing Monthly Magazine and BoxingMonthly.com. Before I get started with this episode, I just want to give a shout-out to everybody that's supporting MOB on our Patreon page. We had four new people join uh, Patreon this month in April. And I just want to give a quick shout-out to everybody that's been supporting us on Patreon going all the way back to last year, all the members of the MOB family Michael Barrios, Raul Ruelas, Jonathan Sandoval, Timmy Turner, Roy Smith, Too Tough, Florian Seagreest, Kevin Frey, Wenceslado Cano, Michael R. Atkins, Brad Lundgren, Boxing Tech, Cat Clemens III, Joel Morgan, Anbu, Robert Palmer, Jay Gormley, Ryan Meza, aka Dempsey. Sean Thompson, Greg Frick, Rex Afraziabi, Paulo Vega, John Newman, Michael O'Connor, Ken Young, Jacinto Martinez, John Landerbog, Nicholas Cantu, and Austin J. Guys, thank you so so much. Honestly, I I can't put it into words how much we appreciate this. There's four of you guys who have already donated over a hundred dollars. Jonathan Sandoval, Kevin Frey, Joel Morgan, Greg Frick. Uh, You guys, I know some of you have already bought shirts, but those of you who haven't yet, we're going to get some MLB shirts out to you guys. We'll be in contact with you. But uh, for those of you who haven't got to our Patreon yet, check it out. Patreon.com slash Montero Unboxing. Also, I'll remind all of you, go to Apple Podcasts, find the Neutral Corner Podcast. Give us a like, rating, review, follow us etcetera cetera, Excelera. Tell everybody about it. All right, guys, uh, that's it. Let's get into news and notes. All right, so if I sound a little tired, it's because I started my day off driving. Actually, I had to get up at 7 in the morning and drive from downtown LA to Santa Monica to film new episodes of 10 Count for Undisputed Champion Network. The reason why we had to start so early is because Tom Loeffler, Wanted to come in and and do an episode with us that I hosted along with Doug Fisher and uh, probably went about 30 minutes. I asked Tom a bunch of questions, a bunch of the questions you guys have been asking uh, about the Canelo situation, why they went with Marta Rozier, why they had to stick with May 5th. What's going on with the IBF and Sergey Derevyanchenko. We brought up Jamal Charlo, who's now the WBC mandatory. Talked about a lot of stuff but he had to get there and do that early because he had to get from Santa Monica all the way up to Glendale to do the workouts today the uh Golovkin Mararosian media workouts so those of us who were filming 10 count uh, that was myself Michael Baca Doug Fisher we had to do that we weren't able to make it to the to the workouts but Steve Kim he did a couple quick episodes and then he skated out too and got up to Glendale to do the workouts for those of you guys you know who don't live in LA and don't know that's probably, I want to say, 20 plus miles uh, distance from Santa Monica to Glendale and you have to go by or through downtown to get there. So traffic wise, that's easily an hour and a half. So uh, Tom Lawler did plenty of driving this morning. So did Steve Kim myself. I wasn't able to do it. We um, we shot probably six or seven episodes of Ten Count. And those will be loaded up in the coming weeks, so so look for that. There should be one uh, reviewing last weekend's fights, which I'll do in this episode of TNC, obviously. But we did an episode of Ten Count reviewing the fights. That should be posted within a day or two. And then we did uh, an episode previewing what's coming up this week. That should be posted this week as well. All right, so let's see. What else is going on? Hmm. Uh, Well, yes, there's that guy named Canelo Alvarez. He's been suspended for six months by the Nevada State Athletic Commission, retroactive to February 17th, the first dirty test. Now, actually, Nevada had to, per their bylaws. I think they had to suspend him for at least 9 to 24 months. So technically, they suspended him for 12 months. But what they did is per their bylaws, they could cut a suspension in half if the uh, fighter who had the anti-doping violation cooperated with their with basically everything, you know their investigation and the meetings and the hearings and all that stuff. And Canelo and Golden Boy did. So they immediately cut that suspension from one year to six months. Now everything's good to go for a Canelo return on September 15th right around Mexican Independence Day holiday. And of course, immediately after that hearing, Golden Boy Promotions announces, yeah, is going to be back Saturday, September 15th, likely to be in Las Vegas. The question on everyone's mind, is it going to be the Golovkin rematch? And I asked Tom Law for that today, and he, he shed some insight into what him and Team Golovkin are doing. I'll talk more about that later on. Also, um, you know, you'll know, you see that episode of 10 Count on Underspeed Champion Network. So we'll see what happens with Canelo. I don't know, man. Is he going to want to come back and do a tune-up? Have a layup fight to you know, shake off the ring rust and then fight Golovkin early next year? Because the impression I got from Loeffler is that if that happens, they're not even going to go forward with a the rematch. They're just going to move forward with their career and go after Billy Joe Saunders for September 15th or around that time. So uh, we'll see what happens. But that is... A situation that is ongoing and in flux and it's it was just weird just before the hearing canelo posted pictures of himself i think on instagram uh getting surgery to his knee apparently there was a cyst in his knee just the optics of that looked so weird so peculiar he didn't go to the hearing he got surgery on his knee two days before the biggest hearing of his professional career Thing is just kind of odd, man. And then the whole thing with Oscar de la Hoya that came out in the kitchen utensils, uh, j- just weird, man. Anyway, Sergey Kovalev, he's not gonna fight Lucas Brown. Lucas Brown has legal issues, he's been arrested twice, domestic incidents with his baby mama, so he can't fight. So now, Sergey Kovalev is gonna fight Eladir Alvarez, which is actually a better fight. And Alvarez has been a Donna Stevenson's mandatory for 752 years. Hasn't got the chance to fight him. Now he gets Sergey Kovalev, who's better than Adonis Stevenson and a more worthy foe. I like that fight a lot. So um, it's going to happen this summer at some point. It's going to be on HBO. But the actual date, the actual venue, still TBA. As soon as I know something for sure, I'll, I'll definitely let you guys know. Of course, Golovkin versus Vanus Maderojian is official now for May 5th at StubHub Center tickets started at 50 bucks when i think all the way to 750 for ringside seats the 50 dollar and 100 hundred dollar price tickets have already sold out in fact uh you know again i talked to tom loffler earlier today we asked him about that he said sales are going pretty well uh and, and again 50 100 bucks sold out so uh they're they're gonna do pretty well on this card it's not just that golovkin's coming back to StubHub center for the first time since he fought marco antonio rubio it's also that Vandas Martirosian, Armenian American fighter, uh, has fought, inspired just about every damn fighter in Los Angeles over the past decade plus. I mean, going back to the amateurs, the the, the fans in the Armenian fans in Glendale, they're going to come out in full force. I mean, there's a reason Tom Lawford chose to do the Golovkin Martirosian media workouts in Glendale. Golovkin's never worked out in Glendale. They did it there to get the Armenian fans excited. He's Hoping and banking on those fans buying tickets and coming out to support that event May fifth. Also, um, when it comes to you know picking Martirosian, I know a lot of people are down on that. They they hate the fight. I understand it, but for the life of me, I can't understand why you guys are mad at Team Golovkin. Again, I will refer to the episode of Ten Count we shot today where I pressed Loeffler about why they went with Martirosian versus Derevianchenko and some of the other guys and why they had to stick with May 5th, why ultimately they left Las Vegas and wanted to come to LA. Uh, the, the deal, everything in Vegas with the casinos and the executives that run them, very, very complicated. And they simply put, they wanted more time to do a bigger name for a fight in June. And certain opponents like Saunders and those guys were not available for May 5th. So a Vegas pay-per-view fight just wasn't going to work. And when it comes to Los Angeles, being able to make money and do a profitable uh, promotion on three weeks notice, you need to have an LA fighter. So there's a lot to it. And I'm not going to get into it all here because that episode of 10 Count, like I said, it's about half an hour long and it's going to give you guys all the details. I'll just say, you know, again, All things being considered. Well, actually two things, okay? Number one, for Team Golovkin, this is the best out of a really shitty situation. Number two, if you're pissed about this event in general, don't blame Golovkin. Blame Canelo. He's the one with the anti-doping violation. All right, other news. Mikey Garcia vacates his IBF 140-pound title. Now he's decided he's going to defend his WBC 135-pound belt, which is the complete opposite of what he said he was going to do a month or so ago. I can't keep up with Mikey Garcia and his bipolar and up and down, hot, cold, left, right bullshit. I guess right now, he's going to go back down to 135. I think that's the better move for him because he's better at 135 to 140. Also, now that Lomachenko's moving up and he's going to fight Jorge Linares, that's going to be for the number one spot for the Ring Magazine Lineal Championship. Mikey Garcia probably is going to try to wiggle into that to get himself a big fight. We'll see what happens carlos Cuadras, the mexican fighter suspended for refusing to do an anti-doping test via the wbc's clean boxing program dropped from the wbc's ratings now this is a situation where i give the wbc credit they have a program the protocol is laid out plainly for anyone to follow they post it online so there's total transparency there and Quadras is a Mexican fighter, and they're punishing him for refusing to take a test, which they should. They get accused, WBC does, of being biased toward Mexican fighters. They're based in Mexico City, and they've shown favoritism to Mexican fighters in the past. But there are times, I mean, Luis Neri, who missed weight in a fight earlier this year, they, they uh, suspended him, dropped him, right? Carlos Quadras now, refusing to take a test, dropped him from the ratings. okay. I want to see the same treatment of Canelo. I want to see the same treatment of stars. That's my issue with the BC here. They're, they're real quick to dole out punishments for other fighters. But it seems with Canelo Alvarez, since that falling out they had, the last time they forced Canelo to fight by their rules. You go back to that situation when, when Canelo beat Miguel Cotto for the WBC middleweight title. He inherited Cotto's mandatory Gennady Golovkin and the BC, you know, Canelo just thought he was going to get an exception. He was going to just get to not fight Golovkin for a year or so and get the Adonis Stevenson treatment. Well, they weren't, de- <clears throat> they weren't dealing with PBC. They were dealing with Tom Loeffler who knows what he's doing. And he had the BC's nuts and a vice in that situation. They forced Canelo to go by the rules. Canelo got pissed, right? They had this big falling out. Ever since then, the WBC has been kissing his ass. I just like the BC, I'd like to see them be consistent. And one of the biggest things about this suspension that I still haven't got a straight answer on, and I'm still digging into it, guys, and let you know, why isn't a full VADA uh, testing, mandatory drug testing for Canelo happening as part of his suspension? And I'm not talking about the WBC's clean boxing program. I'm talking about the same treatment that we saw for guys like, Uh, Alexander Polvetkin, who I've been hard on, Lucas Brown, who I've been hard on, other fighters who had to take additional testing in a probationary uh, time frame, I think for for about a year at their expense. We should be seeing that from Canelo Alvarez during this suspension. And the fact that he's not, at least to my knowledge right now, he's not, it's not part of the suspension, that's just odd and it's not right. It's basically a slap on the wrist and he can go back to doing whatever the hell he was doing before. So I'll dig into that more and I'll let you guys know when I find out. Also, O2 Arena for July 21st is the possible Dayton venue for a possible IBF heavyweight eliminator bout between Dillian White and Kubrat Pulev. Remember, Pulev was in line to be the IBF mandatory to fight Anthony Joshua. He got hurt. Carlos Takam came in for him. So he's, line- he's still lined up to fight Uh, to get that eliminator fight to be back in the running to fight AJ. And they're talking about getting him and Dillian White in the ring together. They're just negotiating that. Nothing official yet at the time I'm recording this. I'll let you guys know when I hear something. That's it with news and notes for this week. Uh, Let's review what happened in the ring around the world last week. Last Thursday, April 19th in San Juan, Puerto Rico, it was another Golden Boy Promotions on ESPN2 card. It was also streamed live on ESPN3.com. In the main event, Lamont Roach and Orlando Cruz fight to a split draw in a 130 pound 10 rounder. The judges had at 97-93 for Roach, one judge had it 96-94 for Cruz, one had it 95-95. Here's the controversy. This was a pretty close uneventful fight, not much happened, but late in the fight it was either the ninth or maybe it was a 10th round I think it was the ninth round. A left hook to uh, Cruz's head dropped him. But Louis Pabon, the ref, he ruled it a slip incorrectly because it looked like a legitimate knockdown from a punch. And had he called that correctly with uh, with as a knockdown, then Lamont Roach would have got the W here. It would have been a majority decision win for him. So again, this is just an example of what I've said a thousand times before. Boxing needs instant replay. You have 60 seconds between rounds. You have monitors all around the ring where the referee could check out a monitor during that 60 seconds. If there was uh, a mistake that he or she made, they can get right back up in the ring. And right before the start of the next round, they can make a quick announcement to the three judges. It's the same way when, when they deduct a point. How they say one point, then they, they turn to the other judge, one point. They turn to the other judge, one point, right? Do the same thing. Turn to one judge, uh, that was a knockdown in the last round, not a slip. Turn to the other judge, say the same thing, repeat, repeat, right? That's it. That's all you got to do. We already have the technology. I don't know why we're doing it, uh, why we're not doing it, because uh, here it is, a situation where a split draw, split draw would turn into a majority decision win for a fighter. Or I'm sorry, a split decision win for a fighter. So that matters. Fights like that matter, or, you know, decisions like that matter. Also, uh, several uh, Puerto Rican prospects on the undercard they stayed uh, undefeated with uh, Ws. Uh, this is you know Miguel Cotto's promotional company working with Golden Boy Promotions as part of the deal when they signed together a couple years back. Also in Poland on Saturday, April twenty first, Tomas Adamek, who turns forty two years old this year, he scores a TKO seven win over Minnesota journeyman Joey Ebel, and it was the headliner of a card on Polestat Sport pay per view. He defends his Polish heavyweight title. Dropped Abel in the second, sixth, and seventh. Abel had beat Krzysztof Zimnok last time he fought in Poland last September. So for Adamak, this is kind of a revenge for his Polish brother to get the W, to get the knockout, and he defends that Polish heavyweight title. He's still a name over there in Poland. He's still headlining pay-per-views over there. So I don't like that the guy's continuing the fight. I hope he hangs him up soon, but he gets the W here. At the Echo Arena in Liverpool, In the UK, there was a Matchroom Sky uh, card, but it was also featured here in America on the ESPN Plus app. And I believe this was the first bout with the ESPN Plus app—that's the $4.99 a month app that ESPN just rolled out. Amir Khan scores a TKO one win over Phil Logreco, the journeyman from Toronto. Dropped him twice. This was not to say this was a mismatch; would be like doing a disservice to mismatches. This just shouldn't have been sanctioned. Conant improved to 32-4 with 20 knockouts. Uh, He was making his ring return since nearly being decapitated by Canelo Alvarez last May in his first bout after signing with Matchroom Sport. Uh, LeGreco, I think, has now gone 3-4 in his last seven bouts. So uh, there you go. On the undercard of this fight, um, Tommy Coyle scores a TKO 6 win over Sean Dodd, wins his Commonwealth lightweight title. Several U.K. prospects are the 2016 Olympians, Anthony Fowler, uh, Caius Ashfaq, a 2012 Olympian, Natasha Jonas, and Connor Ben, Nigel Ben's son, all on the undercard. They remained undefeated, kept on trucking. In Belfast, Northern Ireland, a Frank Warren card, on BT Sport, but also screening live here, well, really around the world, on Showtime's social media, on their Facebook and YouTube page, Carl Frampton and Onito Donaire go 12 rounds, just like I told you it would. And uh, Frampton scores the unanimous decision win in a fight that he pretty much controlled really from the onset. I mean, Donaire had his moments, but Frampton controlled the pace and he dominated in spots and really beat up the older man in spots. Looked uh, very, very fast. I was surprised to see just how much faster he looked in Donaire. After the fight, Donaire did uh, admit that. He wanted to go back down to 122. He feels that's a better weight for him. Um, Just not a real featherweight. Not that Frampton is either. Remember, Frampton started at 122 and moved up. But I think Frampton, he's had, I believe, four fights now at featherweight. He's 3-1. and I really think he's settling into featherweight. I think he's good there. He's obviously still an elite-level guy at 126 pounds. And, you know, before this fight, I, I questioned how dedicated was Frampton to boxing, to training. He looked really, really good in this fight. Is it matchmaking? Did he just, you know, obviously Donaire is long in the tooth. He's well past his best days. Is it just match, matchmaking and that's what made Frampton look so good? I don't know. He looked really, really good in this fight, though. On the undercard, Zolani TT. Uh, first defense of his WBO Bantamweight title scores a unanimous decision over the Argentinian fighter Omar Andres Narvaez. Horrible fight. 120-108 three times where the scores, uh, you know, the scores weren't even necessary. To talk about this fight would be unnecessary. It was just uh, TT basically in a sparring session, a glorified sparring session against Narvaez. And I forgot to mention the scores for the frampton Donaire fight. There were 117-111 three times. So consistent judging in both those fights. But those were pretty easy fights to score. Pretty easy fights to score. All right, now over here in the USA at the King's Theater in Brooklyn, I told you guys about that Real Deal Sports uh, and Entertainment card that was being put on by Evander Holyfield's promotional company. The main event that they had scheduled, it was going to be Duke at this uh, Ghana fighter. who was a 2012 Olympian for Ghana, going up against a French guy, Yoan Boyou. But Boyou came in four pounds heavy. So they canceled the main event. There was a heavyweight fight. With a Russian heavyweight Sergei Kuzmin, that got bumped up to the main event, I think. He improved to 12-0 with nine knockouts with a KO6 win. Also in Brooklyn, much, much bigger card. It was a triple header, PBC on Showtime. The reported attendance was over 13,000 for this. And most of the fans who came out, came out to see the main event, Adrian Broner versus Jesse Vargas. Say what you will get about Adrian Broner. And, and look, there's a lot of things about him I don't like. I think he's a classless piece of shit, but he does numbers. He does TV numbers and he sells tickets. So love him or hate him. He is a brand. He is a business, an American born and bred fighter that does do business. Aren't many of them around right now, especially guys from the Midwest or the East Coast. So uh, to, to see Broner, you know, bring in 13,000 plus in the Barclays. And yes, there were comps and there were discounts and stuff. But from what I'm hearing, a lot of these tickets were legitimately sold at, at sticker price. I'm also hearing from some of you guys who tweeted me and DM me uh, over the weekend that the atmosphere there was pretty rough. And there were a lot of fights outside and inside the arena. They had extra security outside and inside the arena. Some of you guys sent me pictures and videos of some of the stuff that was going on. Pretty nasty. That's the downside of the business that guys like Broner bring in with him. But you know what? Money's green. Selling tickets, money's green. So let's talk about the fights. Okay, In the opening fight, Gervonta Davis scores a TKO 3 win over Jesus Coyjar wins the vacant WBA super featherweight title or junior lightweight, however you want to say it. Coyar was down in the second and twice in the third. Uh, Davis worked the body early on, which was a smart tactic. He was going upstairs, downstairs, left hand, right hands. It really, really looked spectacular in this fight, but how much of it was just matchmaking? Now, I favored him to win. I favored him to win by knockout, but did I expect three rounds? No. It was an impressive performance. I'll give him that. But it's Jesus Quajar. And at this stage of, of his career, the guy's pretty washed up. He looked pretty badly faded. But the bodywork early on is what got Davis uh, to land those big shots upstairs eventually that uh, ended the fight. Also, you know, c- clearly hurt Quajar to the body as well, right? So um, great performance by Davis. He might be the best guy at 130 pounds. We were talking about that today as we were taping a segment. Uh, Steve Kim actually hosted a segment of 10 count with myself and Doug Fisher as a guest. And we were talking about the fact that now that Lomachenko has moved up to 135, perhaps Tank Davis is the best at 130 if he could continue to make the weight. This was for a WBA title, although it shouldn't have been, because you know, I talked about this last week in, in the preview portion. Uh, Quasar hadn't fought in 2017. His last fight, he lost in 2016, and that was at Featherweight at 126. Davis' last fight, he couldn't make weight. He lost his title on the scale, but he got disciplined. He got serious about training again. He looks spectacular here. This is the type of Javante Davis we saw that won the title against Jose Pedraza going back about a, a little more over a year ago now. And so if he can stay in this form and continue to make 130, Man, he could probably unify some titles and do some real damage in that division. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Jermall Charlo in the co scores a KO2 win over Hugo Centeno Jr. Wins the interim WBC middleweight title. And now he's Gennady Golovkin's mandatory. Uh, he called him out in the post-fight presser. Or actually, before they even got to the presser, right there in the ring, uh, when the Showtime announcers were in there talking to him, he immediately called out Golovkin. So he wants it, right? Well, uh, let's let's pump the brakes. He knows, and I think the Showtime guys brought this up and asked him about it. Charlo and his people, they're Showtime exclusive. Are they going to be willing to jump ship and go over to HBO the way Daniel Jacobs did? Now, let's remember, Daniel Jacobs did that and went over to HBO to fight Golovkin when he was the mandatory for the WBA, but that also kind of coincided with him leaving Uncle Al in signing with Uncle Eddie of Matchroom, right? So uh, is Jamal Charlo going to do that? I don't think so. You know, uh, I don't see that happening with either of the Charlo brothers. So even though he's the mandatory, that fight with Golovkin, that's going to be a tough one to make. And if and when that does happen, and trust me, guys, I want to see it. I absolutely want to see that fight. But it ain't happening until 2019. There's no damn way that's happening this year. Anytime soon. We still don't know what the IBF is going to do in regards to Golovkin and Derevianchenko, Loeffler and in uh, Golovkin, they've put in for an exception request from the IBF. They haven't ruled on it yet. So we got to see how it's all going to work out. We got to see how it's all going to work out with this uh, mandatory situation. But Charlo looked awesome. He's looked great. He's got two middleweight fights against two guys who... Maybe we're ranked in the top 20, but nowhere near the top 10 by any reputable publications ratings. So passes the eye test, but let's see him in there with a guy who can catch and who can punch at the same time. Let's see if Charlo can catch at 160 pounds because right now he's beat two guys that aren't as good as Dominic Wade, a guy that Golovkin blew out. Remember Dominic Wade, his mandatory, I think that was the IBF mandatory. Dominic Wade beats the two guys that Charlo has beat so far as a middleweight. So let's not get too excited. Passes the eye test, but let's wait and see if he fights somebody else in the midterm and uh, proves himself against the top ten middleweight. He's from Houston. There's a big scene blowing up down there right now in Houston, Dallas, San Antonio. The boxing market there is growing. Uncle Al and the management for the Charlo brothers—they need to get these guys busy. I want to see Jamal Charlo fighting again, maybe late this summer in the fall in Houston. Keep him busy. Keep building him up at middleweight. And also every time he gets in the ring and knocks someone out, he drums up interest in the eventual Golovkin fight. So go back a few years, guys, to when Gennady Golovkin was drilling dudes, knocking dudes out, and calling out Canelo Alvarez, right? That was the fight he wanted. That was the big name. That was the scalp he wanted. Chase and Canelo, Chase and Canelo. Charlo's got to be that same way right now with Golovkin. He's got to be active. He's got to be fighting three, four times a year, taking short money if need be. I think he only made half a million dollars for this fight, which I guess when you look at Charlo's career accomplishments, I guess that, that's a good payday for him. Uh, he's deserving of it, but he needs to get more active. Even if he has to cut down to 250, 300 grand in fight three, four times this year, start banging the drums for a Golovkin, man. If he does it, he fights often enough, that Golovkin fight will eventually happen. But if you fight once a year against guys like this, and, and I, I, I like Hugo Centeno Jr. He's a, just an awesome, nice guy. I've met him before at Wildcard Gym while I was working out and stuff. He's a cool guy, he's a nice guy. And he's a, he's a decent quality fighter, but he's not at the elite level. He's not in the top 10 as a middleweight, right? Charlo needs to, if you're going to fight this level of opposition, fight three or four times a year. Stay busy and keep banging the drums for Golovkin. Basically, take a page out of the Triple G's book two, three years ago when he was chasing Canelo. That's what Charlo needs to do right now. In the main event, Adrian Broner and Jesse Vargas fight to a majority draw at a welterweight fight that was actually a catchweight at 144 pounds. Uh, Two judges had it, 114-114, a draw. One judge had it, 115-113 for Broner. I thought that scorecard was a little too uh, favorable to Broner. I think if you were going to edge it either way, Vargas probably deserved a nod a little bit more, maybe 115-113. Maybe if he had a round even, 115-114 for Vargas. I thought he just did a little bit more through the first six, seven, eight rounds, built up a good lead. But this really was a tale of two fights. The first half of the fight, clearly Vargas won. The second half of the fight, clearly Broner won. And I don't understand what Vargas's game plan was and why halfway through he changed tactics. It started trying to maul and grapple on the inside with Broner. That played right into his strength. When Vargas stayed on the outside and stayed behind his jab and fought long and tall, he was dominating Broner. Honestly, he was clearly winning rounds. He was dominating the fight item up five rounds to one after six rounds and I think that's how most people scored it so he was really really just touching up Broner in spots and knocking him back stopping him dead in his tracks and Vargas is a weak puncher at welterweight so um to see that was was pretty amazing now I'll give Broner credit and I'll give his new trainer and his new team credit for getting in his ass and getting him to change tactics and lighting a fire under his ass and And Broner deserves credit for coming back, for hanging tough. And he's proved he's a tough guy. This guy, you know, he is a tough fighter and he is a competitor. And he worked his way back into the fight. And I'm totally cool with the draw. Totally fine with the draw. I have no issue with that. I do have issue with some of Broner's tactics after the fight. And just talking shit to Vargas when there was just no need to. You know, the fight... The first two fights on this triple header were complete mismatches. They weren't entertaining unless you're just bloodthirsty and wanting to see knockouts. But in terms of being competitive and entertaining, they weren't. They were shit. The main event, though, was a good competitive fight with ebb and flow, where you had one guy build up a lead and the other guy come back and make it close. And it ended in a draw, which I thought was just. I thought it was fine. Why at that point go full Adrian Broner and be an asshole? And start talking a bunch of shit to Vargas and then be ignorant about it. He said something to the effect, and I'm paraphrasing, but Brunner said uh, that he beat Vargas's ass like Martin Luther King got beat. I, I don't know what he, I, I think he was referring to Rodney King. If you're going to mistake Rodney King, who was blasted on PCP and had a, a rap sheet longer than my dick, and my dick's above average, if you're going to compare that guy to Martin Luther King, you're a moron. We all knew Broner was a moron, but that level of moron, that's just, that's just extra level moron. That's down. Well, uh, I won't, I won't do the down syndrome. disc. Okay. I won't do it. I don't want to trigger some of you, but the fight is over at that point. You don't need to sell tickets. Why go there? I just don't get it. And for those of you who said, Oh, I was doing it for the camera, blah, blah, blah. Watch the post fight press conference that some of the media guys have posted up online on, on YouTube. He doubled down in the press conference and even got even more ignorant and stupid, showed his ass even more. It was just unnecessary. Vargas handled it with class. And he basically, I think he said something like, you need to calm the hell down. Basically, like almost talking to him like a grown-up would talk to a toddler who was having a temper tantrum because, uh, you know, mommy wouldn't buy him his favorite chocolate bar while they were checking out the supermarket. That's basically how he talked to Broner. It was kind of kind of funny. Because you just saw a grown man, an adult, and then you saw an idiot talking to each other. Anyway, I don't need to see the fight again. I I didn't need to see the fight the first time, although it was entertaining. So both guys will go their separate ways from here. Broner will fight again. I don't know. Is he a welterweight? Is he a junior welterweight? I don't know. He fights at these catchweights because he can't make any damn weight when he fights at a full 147 or 140. I don't know what he is, but he's going to make for entertaining fights wherever he goes, whoever he fights, right? So uh, we'll be watching. I got to give him this much credit. He's not in boring fights. The guy's in entertaining fights. Now for Jesse Vargas, I'm not quite sure where he goes here. A W here would have been real good for him and helped build him up to a fight at some of the bigger names at PBC. He still can go on and do that, but it's not the same. Uh, So both of these guys, this was kind of a parallel move for them. This is basically a parallel move for both fighters. Neither one really gained much from this, but neither one really lost much from this either. Sunday, April 22nd in Russia, Ketteringberg, Russia, there was a card with several Russian prospects and there was a a slight upset in the main event. Uh, Lightweight prospect, Pavel Milikov, who uh, lost several years of his pro career due to legal issues outside the ring. But he was undefeated going into this fight. He was KO'd in the eighth round by Indonesian fighter Jordan, who uh who is a good, steady veteran, who has some losses on his resume, but is better than his resume looks. He's better than his record looks. And it wasn't just a freak knockout. Milikov was down on all three cards at the time of the stoppage. So this was his first pro loss. and It was off a body shot devastating body shot and this was a wba eliminator for the number two spot at lightweight so uh good stuff there for daoud Jordan, who uh really this is kind of a a second life for his career right because he was kind of an afterthought coming into this fight with a lot of people all right guys that's it for uh, what took place last week let's preview what's coming up this week in the ring Friday, April 27th, it is another Real Deal Holyfield card, this time in Louisville, Kentucky. Not much to say about this card, but it's at a venue called the KFC Yum Center. And I just thought that sounded funny, so I just wanted to mention it. Also Friday, Thompson Boxing card from the Doubletree Hotel in Ontario, California. You guys know that uh, Thompson Boxing, they always stream those cards on their uh, social media, so be sure to check that out. Saturday, April twenty eighth, Arthur Abraham, the veteran, is fighting in Germany. It's his first bout since the loss to Chris Eubank Jr. last July. Another card at Barclays Center this Saturday, man. Barclays, Brooklyn is staying busy. New York is staying busy this year in the fight game. They've been down the last couple of years, but twenty eighteen, New York is killing it, man. Daniel Jacobs is fighting the Polish fighter Maciej Sulecki in a twelve round middleweight fight in the main event. And I should mention this is a matchroom card on HBO. Uh, Jacobs' first bout of 2018. He last fought Luis Arias last November, scored a, a, a dominant, but not the most exciting win. But he was fighting a guy who was trying to survive. Uh, same for Sulecki, the first fight of 2018 for him. He last fought against Jack Colquay last October. Sulecki so is going to come toward Jacobs. And you can't punch through a wet paper bag. So I think that style wise, this is going to play right into Jacob's strength and he's going to turn in a really entertaining performance here. And I think he's going to score a a stoppage win in the middle to late rounds of this fight. The co is a good heavyweight scrap between Jarrell, Big Baby Miller and the Frenchman, Johan Dwapas. What will Big Baby weigh? This is what we always talk about with Jarrell Miller. He was 283 in his last fight against uh, Mariusz Vok last November that he got rid of in nine rounds. Wasn't the most thrilling affair. It took him a while to get to Vok. He eventually did, eventually got him out of there, right? The fight before that against Gerald Washington, that was in July. He got Washington out of there in eight rounds. He was 298. So he had lost 15 pounds. In what, let's see, five months, four months. So if that trend continues, he should be around 270-something for this fight, right? I think he needs to get under 280 to be taken seriously as a heavyweight contender. And I know, yes, laying his feet for such a big man. He's very nimble and athletic. He's so comfortable in the ring. All those uh, the, the time that he sparred with the Klitschko brothers and others, uh, very, very experienced guy just in terms of fighting in the ring. Very light in his feet. However, that weight is eventually going to catch up with him. Guys, has there ever been a big fat ass who is the heavyweight champion of the world? No. How many big fat asses do you know that are dominant athletes that reign long? I can't name any. So look, he's got that extra weight on him. He needs to get it down. Plain and simple. I'm not hating. I'm just telling you guys the damn truth. Now, I hear some people saying, well, well, he'll get in shape. He'll drop a bunch of weight if he gets the Anthony Joshua fight, which is rumored to be possibly for later this year, maybe late this summer or in the fall. Anthony Joshua making his American debut against Big Baby Miller in New York should Miller be successful against Duapas. That's what people are saying. Oh, well, if he gets AJ, then he'll drop the weight. No, 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 no. You dress for the job you want, not for the job you have, right? That's the best career advice I could give to a lot of you young guys. Dress for the damn job you want, right? Not the job you have. So if you're Jarrell Big Baby Miller, don't eat right now like you're fighting Johan Duapas. Eat and train like you're fighting Anthony Joshua or Deontay Wilder. That level of heavyweight, if that's what you want. Now, Duapas is 3-0 since his KO loss to a, Dirty Alexander Povakian back in December of 2016. and uh, But it's just against journeyman the last three fights, right? This is his first fight in the USA, however, since his TKO 11 loss to Deontay Wilder back in September of 2015. Let's not forget, he took Wilder 11 rounds. So if, if that version of Dwapa shows up and he's properly motivated and in shape, he's going to take Miller rounds and it's going to be interesting to see uh, what he can get done And it'd be interesting to see if Miller can look more impressive against Duapas than Wilder did. I think that's the test. The Povetkin fight, I'm just scratching that off the record with everything that was going on leading up to that fight. But if Miller, the, the test here is, can he look more impressive than Wilder did? And Wilder looked like crap at times in that fight. So I don't think that's going to be hard for him to do. I favor Miller by late knockout, possibly decision. We'll know a lot by the weight, and that includes Duapas. We'll know a lot about what he's bringing into the ring by how he looks at the weigh-in. Also, Katie Taylor is fighting on this card as well, so that's gonna be interesting to see what she does. In Philadelphia, it's a top rank on ESPN card again, headlined by Jesse Magdaleno fighting Isaac Dogbo for the second defense of his WBO Super Bantamweight title. Magdaleno, who is 25-0 with 18 knockouts, hasn't fought since last April. And even last April, it was only a two-rounder. It was uh, a complete mismatch, his opponent. So this will be his first real stern test since winning that title against Donito Donaire. Dogbo is from Ghana. He's 18-0 with 12 knockouts, 23 years old, won the interim WBO Super Bantamweight title in his last fight, which was in January in Ghana which uh, was a really, really cool scene uh, with the crowd there in Ghana. If you haven't seen that fight, look for it on YouTube. It's, on, it's all over YouTube. But guys, Isaac Dogbo, he's not a pushover. And these guys from Ghana, they're tough. This kid is coming into this fight motivated and he's going to give Magdaleno plenty to think about. I think that is a very, very good main event. And I'm very, very excited to see that one. Don't sleep on that fight just because you haven't heard of Dogbo. I'm telling you, He's gonna bring it. Also on that card, Jesse Hart, Philly fighter, is fighting Desmond Nicholson. Uh, for Hart, he's coming off that TKO one win in February, and then before that, that tough loss to Zerto Ramirez last September. Nicholson's from Maryland, so you're gonna have, uh, you know, Philly fighter. It's in Philly, and Maryland's not too far from there, so that's gonna be a fun one with the the local rivalry. Another Philly fighter, Bryant Jennings, the heavyweight. He's fighting uh, Joey. Dweczko? I think Dwejko is how you say it. Uh, Dwejko's nickname is Polish Thunder. So there you go. I, I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that name. Maybe Dweczko. You guys out there who speak Polish, let me know if I'm anywhere near close. <laughs> uh, Jennings is 3-0 since his losses, his back-to-back losses to Vladimir Klitschko and Luis Ortiz in 2015. He had no fights in 2016, went 2-0 in 2017. And uh, he, he fought once this year already back in February. So he's getting busy again after having some time off and getting some, uh, some things on his team and management uh, settled. I'm curious what uh, DeWitchko brings. He has an amateur record of 56 and 12. I want to see if he really is got Polish thunder in those fists. Anytime the heavyweights fight, I'm excited to see it. And I like Brian Jennings. I think that he's an underrated, underappreciated heavyweight. I think he's a good quality, athletic American heavyweight. Shakur Stevenson is also on the undercard. So I'm sure they'll at least show highlights from his fight. Let's see if he can uh, start to get some legs under him. He still looks a little like he's got Bambi legs, I call him. Just a little un un uh, unsteady on his legs. And he, he's just a pup. So let's see if he starts to really, really grow and develop into a pro with the way he punches. Also, we have a PBC on Fox card from El Paso, Texas. During the afternoon, it's the first card on network TV for pbc since victor ortiz and devon alexander fought to a draw which was a robbery uh, alexander deserved to win that fight on fox back in february 2nd so main event jose cito lopez fighting miguel cruz the riverside rocky his first bout since last april and cruz is a 17 and 0 fighter with 11 knockouts um from Cincinnati, I think. Yeah, yeah. From Cincinnati, now resides in Florida. Now, I'm just trying to think. None of these guys on the card are from Texas. Actually, you know what? I take that back. In the Comain, Anthony Durrell is fighting Abraham Hahn, and Hahn is from El Paso. And he's another one of these guys who's better than his record indicates. He's got three losses, but two of the three losses were debatable split decisions, I believe. The one thing about Han, because I've seen him fight a couple times, he cuts a lot. His skin cuts. He's very susceptible to cuts. Anthony Durrell has always been seen as the lesser of the two Durrell brothers. But think about, you know, he only has one loss. Andre has three now, albeit, you know, Anthony has fought lesser opposition than Andre. But he's obviously aged better than Andre because he's been in less wars. He's just better preserved. And you got to favor him in this fight. Uh, Han is a champion kickboxer, and he's a black belt in Taekwondo. So he has a lot of experience fighting. But as I said before, his skin cuts up real good. He's a tough guy, not the most skilled, though. So I think Darrell's skills should win out this fight. i got a feeling, though, that that fight's going to turn real ugly. And I think there's going to be a lot of grappling and mauling, and Han's going to get cut, which, you know, the blood will look good. But I don't know if the action in this fight's going to look good. I just got a feeling I really really hope I'm wrong though. Also, Jorge Lara, Mexican fighter going up against Claudio Marrero of the Dominican Republic. Both of these guys are southpaws. Lara is 5 foot 6, Marrero is 5 foot 8. Uh, he's coming off a KO7 loss to Jesus Rojas last September. So you got a Mexican guy and a Dominican guy fighting in El Paso. Well, I get why the Mexican guy's fighting there. So uh Also on that card, the return of Erickson Lubin coming off his KO1 loss to Jamel Charlo last October. So that's it for this week, guys. Um, Once again, man, I can't believe my voice held up after uh, all the episodes of 10 Count and then going through TNC today. I forgot to mention, man, uh, Vasil Lomachenko media workouts tomorrow at Oxnard, California. I'm going to go up there and try to shoot some video of him working out. If I can get some interviews, I will. I'll post that stuff on the channel. Speaking of the channel, guys, please get the word out there. Let everybody know. Let all your boxing peeps know about MOB. And thanks once again to all of our Patreon supporters. You guys are great. you truly, truly part of the MOB family. We can't thank you enough. All right, guys, that's it for this week. Episode 120 in the books. I'm Michael Montero. I'll see you at the fights.